everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be speaking with Shira from the Animal Rescue Mission, an organization whose mission is to rescue, rehabilitate, and rehome animals while educating the public on how to provide a safer, happier world for animals. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Shira. How's it going? Good. How are you guys doing? Wonderful, wonderful. (laughs) I mean, yeah, midweek slump, but otherwise... I don't even know what day it is. I keep losing track. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I find that happens more so and more so with COVID. You just lose. Right in the beginning too, I was like, I I had no clue what day it is. Oh, I can't keep track. When I'm like on the phone making vet appointments and they like say the day. Oh, oh my God. I sent my rescue partner to San Diego to pick up. uh, We got a bunch of food donated from... Blue Buffalo, and I sent him there. And he calls me and he's like, Really, Shira? I'm supposed to be here on Wednesday. I'm like, I know. <laughs> he's like, It's Tuesday. Oh, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. How crazy. I mean, we're all in it with you, though, because certainly I feel like even like Friday comes, I'm like, Oh, so we're back on a Friday, huh? Right. And then you blink and it's like, Oh, it's Monday already. <laughs> okay. It's pretty wild. Well, so tell us, so we'll kind of roll back the clock a little bit. How did you first get involved in animal welfare? The very beginning was when I was 11. My sister started volunteering at a place called Farm Sanctuary in Watkins Glen, New York. She came home one day and like showed us like 30 seconds of a slaughterhouse video. And immediately my entire family became vegetarian. And at the same time, we found a litter of kittens in our backyard. And one of them was really sick. Basically, we, you know, took in the litter and the mom. We ended up, of course, keeping the sick one, you know, bottle of and nursing back to life. And then we just became known as like the crazy cat family that (laughs) took in all the strays, got them all vetted, got them all homes. And then kind of from there... I moved out to LA when I was 17 and I started volunteering at all the different shelters and different rescue groups. Yeah, just kind of then I joined a rescue probably seven years ago and I was a partner there for a while. And then about two, maybe three years ago, I'm losing track of time now. (laughs) I started my own rescue just because I wanted to accomplish different things and I wanted to kind of have my own, just have my own rescue so I could do things the way I want to do it. Yeah. So for the past, I think it's been two and a half years. For two and a half years, I've had the Animal Rescue Mission. The name was kind of based on the fact that we do like different missions. You know, one mission is Tijuana. One mission is the abused dogs that become multiple missions. You know, I didn't intend for it to be a a full-time job with no pay, but it has definitely become 24-7. I can totally understand that. I mean, especially like, for me, the kitten element, like there is something a little bit addicting about like, okay, well, they have an eye infection and then like 
you just help them a little bit and then all of a sudden they're thriving and doing so well and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to help all of them. <laughs> it's a fun experience. I mean, and of course, like you're glad you can be there and it's very um, gratifying. You can definitely understand how you kind of get swept into it. And certainly, I mean, taking on your own mission, um, that's a wonderful, I mean, and it sounds like many multifaceted adventure for you. It's just nonstop because also once you open the door of kind of seeing abused animals and animals that are in bad homes or being left in the backyard or neglected, it, you, it's like you don't stop seeing them. It's just never ending. I mean, just today we got a message about three more dogs that we're working on right now. So it's, or the other day we rescued a blind pit bull from the shelter. But as soon as we did that, we learned that there's also another blind mm. pit bull in that same shelter. So we're like, well, we have to save him. <laughs> yeah, it's just never ending as I'm sitting next to two of my foster bells. Foster, oh my God, I always forget, Sid. Foster wins. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, so how have things been going through? I mean, now we're entering, it feels like a full year of living in COVID and quarantine. So how has that changed your rescue and have you been able to adapt really successfully or? I always say the only good thing to come out of COVID is the amount of people that have taken in dogs and cats. We've gotten, I mean, hundreds of animals adopted this year. There's just an influx of so many people wanting to adopt now that they're home, wanting to foster now that they're home. So that's been amazing. We play so many animals. The non-amazing part is we've also seen kind of the sad side of it where a lot of animals, you know, when the shelters were closed for a couple months, people were dumping animals on the streets. So, you know, we were going out, just basically driving around, finding so many animals that were dumped. Um, some got hit by cars, like just, just sad, sad stories. But for the most part, COVID was actually pretty good for the animals. We also created a program called let me see if I get this right. The COVID-19 Animal Support Program. Wow. I don't know <laughs> why I can't ever get that right. And it was basically so that people had a backup plan for, God forbid, they got sick or they had to go to the hospital. They had a backup plan for their animals. We would come and and take your animal. Like if, if you were too sick to keep the, the pet there, we would come. We would place the pet in a temporary foster, take care of the animal so that you could get better. Or if people were experiencing financial hardships, we would come and bring food or take their animals to the vet. So we have stayed super busy this year. It's just been non nonstop. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Mm -hmm. I feel like too, we've seen, I think that need just grow so yeah. much. I mean, between like food banks and different things there, mm -hmm. I know I can only imagine like having to choose like, okay, I don't have enough like funds to support my, my human family. Mm -hmm. Like how, like, and having to choose, I mean, like Sydney and I like have such a strong connection towards animals. <laughs> so I can only imagine how heartbreaking that has to be for them and what a lifeline that is for them. That's incredible. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know that there are resources available. You know, if you can't afford vetting or can't afford food, but you love your animal. I mean, we don't want to take your animal away from you. Like I would always rather the 
animals stay in, you know, their loving home and just offer some support. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, going back to what you said too, about like the shelters and like a lot of animals just being like dropped and abandoned. I know that's something that we've really seen ourselves just in working with rescues over the years. Like so many rescues, especially since they a lot of times don't have a facility, like hide their address because otherwise people will dump a lot of animals. And it's so heartbreaking because it's like you, like in many cases, I mean, we've seen like animals who are left there like when they're not even operating. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know when they're going to open and how long those animals are going to survive sitting out there. It's crazy. Yeah. People do that all the time, especially in Tijuana. People leave just boxes of puppies in front of the shelter there. And the shelter there, it's, it's kind of like a makeshift shelter. It's just sad. Like if you can't take care of your dog, at least make sure that you find a rescue Mm -hmm. that's going to take it in or just make some arrangement. I also always feel everyone should have a backup plan for their, for their dog. Yes. And I mean, at this point too, there are so many virtual resources as well of like, you can list your animal and be like a quote unquote foster until you find someone who wants to adopt them or There are so many other avenues rather than just like giving up in that way. I guess that's a good point for anyone who who needs a little bit of extra help or or is thinking like they can't take care of an animal anymore. Like there are so many other options and backup plans. We had a dog last two weeks ago. The owner was going to euthanize her five-month-old puppy because he broke his leg and she knew she couldn't afford the bills. I was like, why would that even occur to you to be your only option. So of course, you know, we immediately got the puppy. He had a surgery. He's doing great. But like the fact that they didn't know that they had options. I mean, even if you bring that dog to the shelter, you know, like one of us, a rescue will go and get that dog right away. I think that's a big thing too, is like a lot of people, they don't, I won't say a lot of people, but there are people out there that don't intentionally want to neglect or want to mistreat their animals. It's just that they don't know any better or that they don't think that the resources are going to be there to help them. So I think just having them know, I mean, big shout out to anybody who's listening to this, like Bridget said, just know that there are resources out there. You know, there's always going to be more than one option. You know, if option A doesn't work, there's going to be a B and a C and a D. There's going to be places out there that are going to help you. Yeah, there's always options. As long as you're doing what's best for the animal, that's no one will, no one will judge that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some people still judge, but <laughs> but at least you will get your animal help. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think overall, just like you're not alone in what you're experiencing. It happens like whatever you're experiencing, someone else has experienced the same thing and there are community resources. That's our PSA, I guess, at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but going back to you a little bit, I mean, so you said this is your non-paying full-time job now. Have, what other, so where, where does your other experiences lie um, professionally? I moved out here. I went to USC. I was a theater major to rescue has just become my full-time job. I'm still acting. It's actually, it's intertwined kind of a bit because finding homes and stuff, it's a lot of it is just networking and guilting all my friends to adopt dogs. <laughs> Like my agent will call it an audition. I'm like, well, can you foster this dog for me? Like, I think at this point, every single family member of mine and friend of mine has at least one 
That's amazing. You're like a pusher. In like the best way. Yeah. I asked because I saw that you um, were featured on the Hallmark Channel recently, right? Yeah, that wasn't an acting job though. That was, I was bringing dogs on. I, I brought a dog and two kittens that needed a home. So I went on kind of their morning show just to network our animals. But what's funny is I, I was on The Office when I was younger and they just did a podcast that's going to air next week, I think. They were like, do you want to pitch anything that you're working on? <laughs> and like, what I should have said is, you know, what I'm working on. And instead, I was like, well, my rescue and we need this, this, this. And this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, no, I'm supposed to be pitching acting stuff. It's definitely, it's intertwined. But honestly, everyone, there's no one that doesn't want to support animals. I feel like everyone always loves to hear about how they can help and and what they can do. So find a way to fit it in everywhere. I know. I feel like it's like, it's, it is this common thread. And I mean, after you're going to be our 30th episode and it's like, after talking to this many rescuers, it's, it's like, everyone is so, so different, but at the same time, it's like, but we all just love animals. And like, and at the end of the day, it's like so many of us have had like an animal who's like basically like convinced us like that animal welfare has to be a part of our lives or like they're just born that way. Like I can't stop helping animals. It's an incredible mission to be a part of and to tie so many unique people into together. Yeah, the best word is it's addicting. It's once you start, you you just know there's so many more that you could save their lives and you know you could change their lives that how can you not? And there's definitely those ones that, really stand out that you're like, wow, if I didn't take this animal in, one of my biggest ones was this dog, Ruby, about five years ago, she had been kept in a crate for seven years. She was emaciated. Sorry, this is sad, but but it has a happy ending, but she was emaciated. And when I met her, she was being held in evidence at the shelter. Her owner was arrested. Thank God. She couldn't walk. And she was just, you know, took her home that day. And long story short, like she started to walk again and she just came back to life. And I was like, I have to do this for every animal. Like just dogs are so much better than people. They, they don't hold grudges. They just want to love. They, you know, she was so sweet. She trusted people still. I mean, it's just amazing what these dogs have gone through and they still are ready to trust and ready to love again. And I wish more people were like that. I wish more people were like that too. (laughs) Definitely. And I mean, it's so bizarre that an animal could be evidence even, first of all. (laughs) Dogs that suffer the most are are put in when, you know, animal control does take the animal. Then a lot of people don't know this. The animals are placed in evidence, which is they basically go to a kennel at the shelter. They're not allowed to have walks. They're not allowed to be handled. And they sit there while the person is on trial. It's absolutely horrific. It's, from what I've told, absolutely illegal and should not be happening. With Ruby, they made an exception because she wouldn't have made it. And I told them I would document every single step that I did with her. And I said, you know, I'll help your case because I'm going to document all of her abuse. And so they let me. But a lot of times, you know, they don't. Like I had a fight like crazy to get these two dogs being held in evidence. They were there for almost a year. It never happened. That's terrible. What if they had, like, what if they came in 
and they had like really critical, I guess, like medical conditions and they, would they still just sit there or would they, I mean, would that help them release them? I, a lot of times they sit there with Ruby. She had extreme medical, so they did let me take her. I mean, I hope that they would take care of the animal, but honestly, I'm not that sure because I've had a beg to get these dogs out of it. So I'm not too sure because the shelter doesn't really do much vetting. Mm -hmm. Like the dog that I just got out that's blind. Well, she's not going to be blind after I get her the surgery she needs. Yeah. She's been in pain for five months at the shelter. They, they could have done something. They have the funds. They just don't do it. So the shelter system is very broken. There's a, a lot of amazing, amazing people that work there. But as far as where the money's allotted and where it goes, that's, I wish that they would put more money into actually treating the animals. Mm-hmm. Well, so it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you've got like connections at the shelter. Is that how you were introduced to like Ruby and like were part of that process? Because I'm wondering how rescuers can get more involved in like helping animals who have been through abuse and maybe have been or being involved in like legal action. Well, there's a lot of volunteers and networkers that, I mean, it's a little different during COVID, but a lot of people, they go to the shelters and they basically, you know, will video all the dogs and then start networking them. So a lot of times that's how I find out about a dog in need. With COVID, it's a little more difficult, but there are some amazing people like Veronica at East Valley Shelter. She works there and she'll, you know, take videos and she'll pitch it to all the rescues. And that's how I found out about these two blind dogs. Yeah, it's just about having people at the shelter that care enough to to actually, you know, network the dogs and get the, the, get it out there. Because if if there weren't people like Veronica, no one would know about these dogs um, during COVID. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing that that there is someone who is like, that is going to, through that eff- extra effort. And I mean, it's so interesting to hear you say like networking the dogs, like, hey, boy, do I have an animal for you? <laughs> like, That's especially during COVID, the best way is people that are able to get in there and, and take videos of the dogs and network them. So yeah, I just, I feel bad for the shelters that don't have people doing that because we will know about those dogs. And a lot of times you don't know about evidence dogs, you know, like I'll go to the shelter and I'll specifically ask, or I'll, you know, kind of force my way into (laughs) seeing who's there. And it's sad. There are dogs that have been in evidence for two, three years and no one's fighting for them. So they won't get out. And it's terrible. There's a lot of changes that, that need to be made in, in the shelter systems, but thankfully there are some good people that, that work there. There's a lot of great people at East Valley, Jacqueline, who I think she's at Harbor now. She's amazing. But people that run the shelter, not so amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a lot of like red tape and unfortunate, I don't know, like rules that were made by someone who maybe doesn't understand how animals should be cared for. (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely a lot of stuff that needs to be done and people don't realize how political it is, but I just pray that one day animal control is taken over by people that actually care about animals so that they could do their job so that I don't have to go and convince owners to give up a dog that they're beating. Right. I mean, my gosh, for just starting your own rescue like a couple of years ago, it sounds like you're super ingrained in all this. And you really, I mean, I guess, of course, you were working at another rescue before, but it sounds like you you have a good foothold 
I mean, you're taking in a lot of dogs, it sounds like. How many dogs does your rescue or can you accommodate, I guess, at this point? We've had more, I think, this year for sure than any other year. I mean, one week we went to Tijuana and got 30 dogs in a day. We're still a pretty small rescue compared to the others. I always joke. I'm like, I'm going to need a home soon. I'm going to be home. (laughs) I've lost track. We have like far surpassed 500 dogs this year. Like it's been... And then not even counting all the cats and kittens. And we primarily do dogs, but we almost have to also do cats and kittens. Mm -hmm. So many. It's funny. Like I have my two little kitties sitting next to me and I'm deathly allergic to cats. So that's (laughs) about me. I did want to ask though, I did see, gosh, I forget if it was like last week or the week before, but I did see that you rescued a little fawn. Oh, that was... Such an amazing story because it was so much teamwork and it was like amazing to see everyone come together. There was a fawn that was stuck in kind of a sewer in Lake Hollywood, and the guard there apparently, um, this woman saw the fawn and said to the guard, and he goes, Oh, yeah, he's been there for two days, but it's not my problem, which is like horrific. I still, still need to go back. I'm like, I've been wanting to go back there and find the guard. And I'm like, I just know that I'll get myself arrested. So we got the call, I think around 11 PM, myself and my four partners raced up to Lake Hollywood, trespass, whatever. Basically first we, we called the Hollywood fire department who were amazing. Mm -hmm. And then we called a wildlife group. I should probably get the correct name so I can give them proper credit. I think it's the California department of wildlife is what I I think what I read. I hope I'm not saying that wrong either. They were so amazing. I want to make sure I give them proper credit. We basically called the Lake Hollywood Fire Department. Well, first I I woke up like the head of the, what is it called? L-A-D-W-P for that city. I was like, I mean, he put his cell phone on the machine. I was texting him. (laughs) I was that on getting this one out and we contacted the fire department and then we contacted the California Department of Fish and Wildlife and both of them came out and basically got the fawn up from there from the it wasn't a sewer it was kind of like one of those I don't know what you call it with a big silver pipe and just like a hole that a fell into they lifted the fawn up and the best part of the story was the mama was just waiting for her and they let him or her out of the crate and ran off with the mom. And it was just like such a happy ending and so much teamwork involved. And then afterwards, my cousin messaged me like about basically like, oh, there's a spawn stock. And I was like, wait, I think that's the fawn that we just rescued. <laughs> she forwards me like, emails and emails and next door posts and all this stuff for two days, people were like all over the message boards about it, which made me go, people need to know that there are people they can call. A lot of people were aware of this, but if someone didn't contact us, I don't know if the fawn would have made it out of there. I think important, one of the, one of the missions I want to do is also just kind of educate people of who they can call. You know, they could have called the fire department. They could have called the wildlife center or, you know, I guess call us, which Mm -hmm. happened, but yeah, I love when it's just teamwork and there's different groups that come together to help. I love that. Cause I think when a lot of people think of rescues, they tend to think of a lot of dogs and cats just because those are generally what get rescued more often. But I love 
like your name is the animal rescue mission. So it's encompasses animals in a whole, like, you know, you heard that there was an animal in need, whether it be a fawn or a bird or anything like that. And you ran to it. And I, I think a lot of people just need to realize that, you know, rescue organizations, even though if you're seeing dogs or cats more often on their social posts or things like that, they're probably going to be wanting to help. It's an animal and we're all here to help animals, right? We rescued a squirrel, a morning dove last week. My partner, Kevin, rescued a raven and 13 roosters. That was crazy. And we found basically like a farm in Acton to take them. But yeah, we, I rescued two pigs two years ago. So yeah, any animals. My, my sister actually has five pigs. And I've lost count of how many chickens and roosters. That's my goal. I, I want to have a pig one day. Oh my God, that's so sweet. Like Bridget, do you think all my dogs would, would let me have a pig? <laughs> oh, totally. I feel like pigs are so smart too. And like, I, I have a friend who has a pig in Chicago and, and it's just like, I don't know. She does not live on a farm. She just <laughs> has a pig, which might not be ideal, but... <laughs> No, I mean, that's such an amazing... And I mean, I love what you said, Sid, too, because like, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I think so many people think like... I think a lot of rescue names are like the Doberman so-and-sos. And it's like, hey, they probably don't just take in Dobermans. They, in the very least, probably know someone who can help in whatever situation. And I mean, I also love all these people were contacting, like reaching out all over the place. And so it's like, this whole community, it felt like came together because they were all so distressed because this one animal was in distress. And like to see that have a happy ending is like, it just warms my heart for sure. I love that the mom waited that like, just like, it's like cherry on top of the story. Like, oh, just feels good. That's always the best ending with the, the Raven. I wasn't there. My partner did it, but he said that also like, I guess Ravens, the parents stay together and they were waiting for child when they brought her back. It, it either took a day or two to rehab her. Mm-hmm. Um, she just had kind of like mildly hurt wing. And um, yeah, they like waited for her, which was so adorable. Love that. So I know you've kind of talked about a, a few pets at this point, but I'm wondering if there's a particular story that really sticks with you as you're going into like shelters and pulling animals and or one that like you're like, we've helped an animal like this before. We can do it again. Is there one story that really stands out for you? I'm trying to decide there's a few, but I think Mark and Donnie were, were big rescue stories for us. Like they kind of changed the way a lot of people saw dogs like them. They were a part of an abuse hoarding case where I think there was 42 dogs and I know the owner went to jail. I don't know the specifics of the situation, but Mark and Donnie were terrified. They were at the shelter. And if you even got anywhere close to them, you know, they would go to the bathroom. They, they would just shake. Like you couldn't get anywhere near them. And countless people were like, they're broken. You can't fix them. The most humane thing you can do is put them to sleep. And we got them and it definitely took time, but they are so happy now. And what they taught me is, you know, animals can come back from anything because they were the most scared, terrified dogs I've ever seen in my entire life. We had three trainers basically say, I can't help these dogs because it wasn't really a training thing. It was more of a rehab thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically like the fosters 
and us, we just kept working with them. And they've definitely, when I see a terrified dog now, I'm like, we can help that dog. We can show him or her, you know, how to trust again. They can come through. So I think them too. And then the other one that is just such an amazing, amazing story is this dog named Soul, who I met him the first time I went to the Tijuana shelters. And his story is basically for the first four years of his life, he was used as a, in a dog fighting ring and he was forced to fight. And he apparently was, you know, the champion and one of the owners of a dog that he had won against. It's so crazy to think of him having to do that. The sweetest, sweetest dog. But the opponent dog's owner got mad that Soul had won the fight took Soul out to the street and ran him over with his car. And it broke Soul's front leg really bad. And he, you know, was left on the street. And this homeless woman kind of found him. They both befriended each other and kind of took care of each other. And she ended up kind of putting together this makeshift shelter, which, bless her heart, it was amazing how many animals she has helped, but also the conditions in the shelter. I don't know if it's better for them to be there on the street. So when I met him, he was in this small cell and he, I thought he was blind because his eyes were sealed shut. He can't stand up. He was the most sad looking dog I've ever seen. I honestly was like, it's inhumane that, that he's even alive right now. Like that was my first thought. And I learned that he had been there for 11 years. So basically he was fight for four years. He's been in the shelter for 11 years. He can't stand. He had a broken leg. So I was like, we have to take him. He has to have the best life ever right now, even if it's for a day, you know, we took him to the vet and turns out he wasn't blind. He had a horrific eye infection. You know, he had all these different things going on. We took him back to LA. I definitely didn't know if he was going to make it. I mean, I was just like on the floor at my vet's office, bawling my eyes out over this dog because he's so sweet, but he had just been through so much and he came out the other end and he is just like a puppy again right now. He has the best mom who adopted him. He 24 seven gets weighted on hand and foot. He's just doing so good right now. So he's definitely getting his golden ears pampered. He has a wagon that she pulls him around in. <laughs> That's like my favorite story probably right now because he's just so happy right now. That makes me feel so good because I, I, I remember when I, when I reached out to you to even help with that campaign or to start his cuddly campaign, I remember reading his story and I was, I mean, you read a lot of terrible stories and you see a lot of things when you, you know, work with rescues and whatnot. But I remember reading his and reading that he had been in that shelter for 11 years. And I was like, oh my God, oh dear God. Like, I can't believe he's been sitting there this whole time. And then when his foster sent over, you know, those photos with him and all of like his goodies, and he was finally like just living in a home where he wasn't surrounded by a cage. I was like, so just knowing like those motions and now seeing that he's in a home now, that's, that gives me chills. That just like warms my heart. Yeah, I think the best part, well, not the best part, but one one of the most amazing parts was, well, I was going to keep Saul. I was so in love with him. I'm like, I, I can't give him up. And then my friend Molly 
texting me and she's like, Oh my God, I love soul. I think he needs to be my son. And I'm like, I don't know. And then, um, (laughs) and I was like, I'm never home. I'm always doing animal rescues. I was like, he just deserves to have a a mom that's with him 24 seven. And she's working from home right now because of COVID. So I was like, okay, I get to come visit every day. I get to bother you. I second mom, but like hands down best decision was, you know, to have her adopt him. And she just, oh my God, he's like the light in her life. Like he has four beds. He, (laughs) she like hand feeds him. She cooks everything. Um, But what was so amazing is the outpour. Once you posted him, so many people sent in so much stuff for him. So I was showing up at her house with like boxes and boxes. So amazing. The love that the people that on Cuddly, like so many people were so amazing. He got so many great gifts from people that saw his story. And it was such an amazing feeling that so many people cared because of Cuddly. He has this huge bed and his second side bed and you know senior treats for life and Mm -hmm. it's amazing how many people have have supported him and wanted to kind of be a part of his journey so he's he's so cute oh I love so yeah another PSA to anyone who supported soul he is he is living (laughs) a good life now well and I mean I feel like too with a lot of like I think for someone just coming like fresh into like rescue they look at a dog that's been involved in dog fighting and they assume like well this dog is vicious and it has like all these temperament issues or all these things but I think what's really flipped and like I think a rescuer mentioned it once was like no this animal loves people so much that he's willing to do something against his nature entirely to appease his like his people and it just like, it really shows like the heart of these animals. They're like, no, we love you so, so much. It breaks my heart that he was forced to do that because he loves dogs so much. So mm-hmm. once he went to the shelter, he became kind of the grandfather that welcomed all the new dogs and welcomed all the puppies and he would take care of them. And it breaks my heart even more that he was forced to do that because he didn't want to. He, he just, he didn't, yeah, you would think that they would come from that and be all vicious and not trust other dogs. And, and you know, some of them do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just loves other dogs. He loves people. It's crazy. I just, I remember that moment when I met him, he fell on me. I mean, maybe cause you know, he can't use his one leg, but I took it as he was like, okay, save me now. <laughs> oh. oh God. I just, the moment I had him here in LA was like the best moment. Like I knew it starts now you're out of that shelter he was in like 110 degree heat with flies and ticks all over him. And now he spends 24 seven. I mean, whenever I go to Molly's, I have to put on two sweatshirts because she's like, so likes the air conditioning. He just sits in front of the AC. It's his thing. He sits on a cooling pad. I put on my winter coat and he just loves it. So he gets old ones. Oh my God. How cute are my cats being right now? I can't handle it. (laughs) <laughs> they love each other so much well so you've gone through the effort of like establishing your rescue I feel like you've done such a great job too I mean looking over your website even is like I feel like I've looked at a lot of rescues websites and they do not always offer everything that you hope they would um, and it's just so well done clearly you have a solid following I'm wondering if you have any tips 
to offer like a small organization that's really just getting their footing and trying to figure out like where to even start and where to focus their energy? I think my best advice would be get a foundation first, get fosters that you really trust, get a trainer you really trust, get insurance. I don't know. Actually, I haven't had to use it, but probably a good idea. But yeah, I think it, my best kind of advice would be to, to definitely get the foundation first. Because I think a lot of rescuers make the mistake of they want to save the dog, but then they don't have anywhere to put the dog. And, you know, that's how I've gotten a lot of dogs from kind of people that want to want to rush to the pound and get the dog out. And then they realize they have no place for the dog. But aside from that, I guess my advice is to do it because there's such a support system out here. And there's so many dogs that need help. The more that help, the better. And if you can't rescue, donate. If you can't donate, educate. I think I'm trying to think of the best advice for a new person. But yeah, I think just to do it and to to not be deterred. There's obviously going to be challenges in it. I do love the fact that you said set a foundation. I, I think foundation is, I, I think that applies to pretty much everything in life. When the bones are good, pretty much everything falls in place. You know, everything isn't going to crumble at first sign of struggle. Um, I think that was great advice. Yeah, definitely the foundation part because we always, whenever we get a foster for a dog, we do a backup foster because life happens. And also we have foster contracts and adoption contracts. And we tell people like, this is a team effort. You're not doing us a favor. You're taking responsibility of this dog and you're promising this dog that you're going to look out for this dog. And, you know, I learned the hard way at first that people would take in a dog and they'd be like, oh, he's barking all night, take him back. And it's like, well, we don't, we can take him back. Like you're, you know? And so I think that's the best advice is to just have a foundation of trusted fosters and trusted people that are going to work with you and realize that it's teamwork. Everyone is equally accountable and equally responsible. And ultimately the responsibility will fall on you, but just trying to find people that won't do that to you, won't, you know, dump a dog on you at 4am, which has happened countless times, I think is the best the best way. But yeah, foundation. So fosters, a trainer, absolutely. Our trainer, Carl, I can't live without like he, there are just some dogs that you really don't know what they've been through. If they show any, you know, if you're not sure that they might have some aggression, it's always better to have them assessed by your trainer first. And vets, we have deals with different vets. We get discounts, which, you know, is huge. The other thing is just it's really hard, especially with COVID, to get donations. You know, that's something I'm still working on. I'm trying to get grants or donor or something because you definitely go bankrupt doing your own rescue. I think every rescuer will tell you that. Definitely. And I feel like too, like rescuers, like you, you guys are like the most creative people I have ever met. And so it's like, you're like, it's almost like a bizarre competition of like, all right, how can I come up with the next innovative way to save the most animals and do the mo most with my resources and contact the most people? It's like a very elite competition, it feels like sometimes. Yeah, I think, well, the problem that I have is I have so many ideas and fundraising ideas and all these like videos I want to do. I just don't have time because I'm out there rescuing 24 seven. So sometimes I feel like, probably the rescues that are getting the funding are the ones that really aren't rescuing every second because I don't have the time. So that's some advice to myself. I need to somehow carve out some time to actually make some, some 
fundraising ideas and stuff. But yeah, I think my best advice is also to find a team because without my amazing partners, it, it's really hard to do it alone. Um, you definitely need a support system. <laughs> you need that partner that's going to drive with you at 4 a.m. to go find that lost dog in Poima. Definitely. Well, so I see you have personal cats. Do you also have like, do you have a bunch of fosters in your house right now or any personal dogs? I, that might be a silly question, but. I always have foster dogs. I, I kind of, everyone's always surprised that I don't have my own dog. That's mine. I, the way I kind of figure is I can foster a lot more dogs if I don't have my own dogs. I'm constantly, I have medical dogs in and out and I have an apartment. So it would be hard for me to also have dogs. I mean, honestly, my honest answer is I did not expect to foster fail these two angels. And (laughs) it's just made it so hard to have too many dogs in here at once. Yeah, my system is basically I get to have dogs in and out every week that I'm fostering and finding them homes. And that kind of is better to me than just having, you know, one dog here. It makes sense because, I mean, you're the one with like a with more of the know-how to handle the harder cases too. <laughs> Whereas like your fosters, you're like, hey, this dog is ready for a real home. <laughs> so let's start moving him down the process. <laughs> My home is is like a, what do they call it the other day? Like a fire hydrant. Like there's so many smells. There's so many different animals now nonstop. I have to lock up my kitties, if I get this dog or, you know, my one kitty just doesn't like dogs and it's been a real problem. But yeah, I've had, I guess in a way I have had dogs that have been here, you know, like five, six months at a time, but my goal is to always find them there forever home so that I could take in more. Absolutely. Well, we do sort of have some fun questions that perhaps you could answer for your kitties or even I don't know, maybe a recent foster you had or, or one that you have right now. So the first question we have is, if your cat was president, what would be the first thing that he or she did? The first thing would be to, well, are you supposed to be fun answers or serious? <laughs> Either one. One of my cat's names is Kitten, because when I got Kitten, I said, you do not get a name. I cannot keep another kitty. I already have two. <laughs> and now Kitten Astroff has been here two years. <laughs> but I think Kitten's first agenda would be to make the system stricter for animal cruelty. Like animal cruelty is supposed to be a felony right now, but no one actually enforces it. The system is completely broken. We see dogs that are being mistreated and badly abused. And if you don't have someone that's going to go in there and take that dog or arrest that person, then the law means nothing. And unfortunately, animal control, they'll go and they'll give a fine. Maybe, you know, they're not doing anything. And I have no problem saying that because it's just a known thing. And that's why all of us rescuers are always having to come up with creative ways to save that animal and to convince that owner to relinquish the animal or get the animal in some way to safety. So my kitty cat would make the system a lot better for for dogs needing help. Okay. So the next question we have is, what is the naughtiest thing that your kittens or kitten has done? They are little jerks. They, every morning at 5 a.m. when they want to eat, one by one, I don't know why I 
put the stuff back on the shelves, but one by one, they knock over every frame, pause every everything until I get up and feed them. And it's the same routine. Every afternoon, I put everything back on the shelves. And then 5 a.m. the next day, yeah, they have no shame. When, when they want to, when they want to eat, they don't care. Stuff will come off the shelves one by one. They are the sweetest little babies, though. They get whatever. I love that. Classic kitty just knocking over stuff. Did your kittens do that, Bridge? Oh, yeah. No, I think it's, and it's like the early mornings too. It's just like, can't you be a night person? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, you want to go for a run at 2 a.m.? Like, <laughs> they're like sprinting around. You're just like, okay. On schedule, they don't care. Mine will just look me straight in the eye and be like, oh, what do you think about it? So I can't, I never win that, that argument. Like they always get fed when they want. I mean, they got me wrapped around their finger. Like they got whatever they want. Oh, okay. So the last question we have is a little bit harder. Um, it's going to be, if you had to pick one life motto, what would it be? I guess I'm trying to put it into words. I mean, I know what my motto in general is, but just do more. I see so many people that, can help in some way. So I think it's my life motto for other people is do more for myself, maybe do less. No, my life motto would be kind of just don't give up because it's hard to see what I see every day. Sometimes it really makes you want to crawl under a rock, but my life motto would be don't give up. My life motto for others would be just do more. Even if every day you go and deliver water to the homeless people in your neighborhood, or you put out a bowl of water for the animals, like during the fires right now, just do more. I hear so many people that are like, especially during COVID, they're like, oh, what am I going to do today? Go to the couch. And I'm like, it's not cute. I haven't stopped during COVID. It's not cute. You, you should be doing stuff. And if you don't want to get off your couch, well, then get on your computer and donate. You know, everyone can do something. Maybe the life motto should be do something. <laughs> something to help others. That's what I feel like life is about. It's it's helping others and helping animals. So do your part. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you do a lot. So maybe <laughs> the rest of us will will pick up the slack. <laughs> no, but that's so true. And I feel like it's, um, you're leading by example. And that's, I mean, such an amazing thing. And I'm sure it's, inspiring so many people around you certainly us absolutely I guess the point is like one little thing can do so much so if everyone does that one little thing you know like whenever there's heat waves I always you know I'm posting like just go get a what do you call it go get a water yeah and give it out I mean it'll change their lives or during the fires I saw a lot of people going oh I don't want to go outside you know, the air is so bad. And I'm like, well, there are homeless people living outside. So what are you going to do for them? Like, don't worry about yourself. You're good. And yeah, a lot of people like, I, I, I didn't even think about it that way. You're absolutely right. And they'll go take a trip down to Ralph's and, and get water. So I think a lot of it is just kind of people don't think sometimes, but then when you give them the idea, they're like, oh my God, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that. There's just always so much that, that people can do. Go through your closet, get rid of any old clothes. I'll bring them down to, you know, there are a couple of, of uh, organizations that I work with, sorry, I'm blanking on everywhere today, that disperse, you know, clothes to people that need it. 
it's just, there's, there's just so much that uh, we can all do to help, to help out. And everyone needs to do their part. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for carving a little time out. I know probably you're going to jump off this and then start saving even more animals. Fill the rest of your day. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> never ends. But this is nice to actually sit down for a moment, have my kitties on my lap. Definitely. And we're so honored to have you. So thank you. What you do is amazing. The support that was given for Soul was just so incredible. I mean, we're happy he's in his little wagon. <laughs> that like made my day. I'm so happy. Oh, I'm so in love with that baby. So in love with him. All right. Thank you. It was such an honor speaking to Shira today. Everything she went into about teamwork and building a foundation has really benefited her rescue so much. And we've loved watching her grow. If you want to learn more about the animal rescue mission, please check our show notes or our blog. And be sure to rate, like, and subscribe this podcast and follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.